Hey everybody, my name is Jesse Collings, and I want to tell you all about my show, The Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast, here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. On The Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast, we do a thorough analysis on the biggest issues and trends within the pro wrestling industry. We talk a lot about pro wrestling media, we talk a lot about fan culture and wrestling's place within general pop culture, and we talk about the broader influences that are shaping the way we discuss and analyze the pro wrestling industry. We've had some of the brightest minds in the pro wrestling intelligentsia on the show, including WrestleNomics host Brandon Thurston, both Rich Krejci and Joe Lanza from the Flagship Wrestling Podcast, Trevor Dame from the Through the Years Podcast, and a whole lot more. This isn't a show for hot takes. It's not a show recapping the latest episode of television. This is a show focusing on the biggest topics in pro wrestling and doing a deep dive on the real stories behind the surface level analysis you might find elsewhere. The Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts, and we'd really appreciate it if you gave us a try. Thanks. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode here of The Good, The Bad, and The Hungy here on the Voice of Wrestling Podcasting Network. My name is Tyler Fornis, and Fred is out for the next couple of weeks, unfortunately. Everything's good. The Hungy Cat is still cancer-free, but he has some things he has to take care of. So we are bringing on special guests here this week and next week. And today, I have the spreadsheet guru of Voice of Wrestling, the one who puts together the Match of the Year poll every single year, does a fantastic job with it. That is Jeremy Sexton. Jeremy, how are you? Doing good, doing good. I, uh, I, I'll, I'll, I'll leave spreadsheet, you know, guru to you know the Chris Samses and the Fred Morlands. I am, I'm the, I'm the programmer. I'm the lead. I got the lead programming skills to gin these things up into something fancy. There we go. And the one thing that has not been gemmed up into something fancy is CM Punk, who is back <laughs> in the news again yesterday, and. Jeremy, uh, we are absolutely sick of talking about CM Punk, but this is a fascinating turn of events. Let's kind of start from the beginning. We were told that he was going to be involved in the upfronts and uh, a part of the announcement of Collision. Well, then he wasn't, and they pulled him out, and you can make an argument that it's for kayfabe reasons. He has not been actually announced to be returning to the company, and that's in, and that's just a weird pro wrestling thing. But then people started digging around, found out about the Ace Steel stuff, and CM Punk decided to go after Brian Alvarez 17 years later about Maria Canellis. Like, what? Let's let's start from the top. What do you make of all of this baloney? I I've gotten to the point now where I don't really know who to even trust anymore on this stuff. Like, it seems like every time now with Punk, there's a million conflicting reports. And 
it seems a whole lot like he and his people are the ones talking to Dave and talking to other people. And then they're also the same ones complaining that everyone has the story wrong and it's all just rumors and no one knows anything. And so I'm like, I don't, e I don't even know anymore. I'm just like, wake me up when he gets to the ring. Like, I did think that it was really interesting last night with the announcement of collision and it's all these big buildings and then the first collision it's like day and time you know coming next week which i guess you could read one of two ways which is that's sort of the problem i guess with all of this cm punk stuff is that there's so many things that you could read two different ways and this was another one where it's like on one hand well, maybe there really is something to all this drama. Maybe there really is something to Punk might not come back now. It might have gotten screwed up because of this, that, and the other. Or we do know that Tony Khan loves making announcements about announcements. Like, he's done this <laughs> many times before where he's like, we got a big announcement, and it'll be half an announcement, and then next week we got an even bigger announcement coming. Like, that's just a very Tony thing to do. So... I don't even know anymore. I, that's a terrible answer for a podcast, but uh, <laughs> I don't know what to make of this. I don't really know what to make of it either. And it's let, let's, let's just kind of go with the beginning. CM Punk is just a, yeah, he is like, if you remember Pokemon, Jeremy, he is electrode. He is, he, he's just ready to self-destruct at any moment. The second he even gets poked, boom, big explosion coming around. And, the, the Ace Steel stuff I find very interesting because there was apparently a meeting uh, the other day. And I believe that day would have been Tuesday, but I'm, I might be wrong on the exact date. That apparently did not go well uh, as far as bringing Ace Steel back to the company. Legal apparently said that, hey, he cannot be at television. And that could have been the one thing that set Punk off because he felt like, hey, Ace Steel's got my back. So if something happens, I know I at least have one, like, want to cool i'm i want to say common enemy but i don't i don't my brain is so foggy i was at home depot for three hours today trying to figure out what the um accomplice i let's use that word um yes. and now that he won't be at television well i can see punk being like okay well i have the elite who treat me like a piece of garbage and in his mind they go to all these dirt sheets and talk a bunch of crap about him well, now I don't have somebody standing right next to me willing to defend me because we know FTR might be friends with Punk. But as far as we know, they're still good with the elite. It's kind of uh, an ambiguous uh, relationship. Kind of, They're almost floating in the middle. So I can almost see why Punk would be upset about that. But at the end of the day, why are you fighting for a guy who literally bit another human being in a shoot fight? <laughs> like You should know better at this point. You're in your 40s. Uh, you and I are... are experienced individuals when it comes to life if somebody bit somebody else at our job we would tell them to kick rocks We're, there's nothing we can do like it shouldn't be different in pro wrestling but it is yeah i you know i i like on one hand i do know that like a steel is someone that punk like i i think feels like he owes a lot of his career to because ace isn't just like a longtime friend ace mm -hmm. like helped train him and help get his foot in the door at ring of honor and play in you know iwa mid-south and places like that where punk made his name and so is there like the first dance isn't the first dance 
if Ace Steel doesn't train CM Punk and yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. And so I can see why he feels a sense of loyalty to him, you know. Um, But at the same time, like, you've got to, you got to be at least a little objective and say, like, okay, well, I I can understand why AEW legal, you know, maybe because now it appears that, like, there was an agreement that, a steel has been working for the company for months now, but he's been working remotely. And that legal was saying, that's fine, but no, you want to bring him into the building now? Like, no, 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 no. Jaws can't come. Uh, and so, yeah, it's, you've got to be able to understand that on some level, I would think, but maybe not. I, you know, I'm not punk. I'm not, I'm not in his shoes on that. Yeah, we're, we are talking about Chick Nagin Punk, and that kind of <laughs> spurs the next whole aspect of the story where Brian Alvarez, uh, if you don't know, and I'll, I'll be honest, Jeremy, I did not know any of this until yesterday, and boy, is it hilarious when you think about it. It When it, when you're hearing about it for the first time, it sounds ludicrous. Brian Alvarez used to do a bit um, where he had a crush on Maria Canellis, now Maria Canellis Bennett, um, a part of the kingdom, and he he did this bit and then he continued to do it while CM Punk was dating her. And one of the things that he did was he was almost like salty towards CM Punk because he's dating the girl he likes. And Punk all of a sudden brings that up out of nowhere, talking about Brian Elvers just talking shit about him. And it's just like, okay, holding a grudge for that long, sure. But to unearth that little piece of history when it has absolutely nothing to do with anything else, like, I don't know if this guy can be saved from himself. The the post that topped it for me was the one where he shared the email because I still don't understand what he was trying to accomplish with that. Like, it's an email where Brian Alvarez is saying, look, like, I don't know what Punk's deal is. And it's an email from this is a decade at least ago or more, like because this is when Punk and Maria were together. That like Brian sends an email. It's like I don't know what Punk's problem is. I'm sure he doesn't even care. But like, tell him we have no issue. Like I'm not mad at him or anything like that. And then Punk shared that email on Instagram like this big gotcha. I don't know what the gotcha was supposed to be. It seems like that was Brian Alvarez doing his darndest to be like, look, I don't know what this guy's deal is, but I'm good with him. Don't like make sure he knows that there isn't any actual thing here. And Punk kept receipts on that, like as though that were a slight to remember to be brought up. I still like I've read that thing over and over and looked at it. and I still have absolutely no idea what the point was. The one thing that I can think of to kind of uh, loop everything together is Alvarez did it through back channels and didn't even try to get in touch with Punk himself, which in theory, knowing that Dave Meltzer has a direct line to CM Punk should have been relatively easy. And I, I, I could see somebody being like, okay, you want to say, hey, we're good, but you don't have the the guts to just tell me yourself. Maybe, but we're also missing the context of maybe there was an email that was sent before that to Punk himself. Mm-hmm. And that Punk, you know, we're not seeing that. Or maybe Punk never got it because it went to spam. Or like, I mean, there's like so many other things that like other contexts that could be around that, that it in and of itself divorced of context. I'm like, I have no idea what this is supposed to mean, except that you're kind of a weirdo, bro. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and that all kind of leads to AEW collision. And one thing that's interesting about this is he was reportedly supposed to be on there. We mentioned earlier that they had pulled him, and that probably has to do with kayfabe reasons. But I, I find it interesting because we keep hearing about this potential brand split where you have some people wrestling on Wednesdays and Dynamite, some people wrestling on Saturdays. And the, the theory being that the elite are going to be Wednesdays and Punk and his guys are going to be Saturdays. Okay. Well, there was something I believe I heard yesterday that said that champions would be ambiguous and they'd be wrestling on both shows. But I think the, the poster itself is very interesting. Um, headlining the poster, you have Orange Cassidy and MJF front and center. They've That's where your eyes go to initially. Uh, up on top, you got Samojo powerhouse Hobbs and thunder rosa who apparently is going to be wrestling on this show same with andre alitalo ftr miro and the house of black but no sign of cm punk but these all feel like punk individuals so i think we can uh, almost quote unquote confirm the rumor that this was supposed to be the cm punk show would this have actually worked and I guess I'm talking in the sense of based on this roster for collision, like they're probably drawing around 600,000 people at most. And would, would this have kept CM Punk happy? Like I, I, I find that element a little interesting. I know I kind of threw a lot at you, Jeremy. Uh, I kind of want your take on this whole collision announcement. Yeah. I think in terms of the punk being happy part, I think there are some people that are happier being the king of a village than a noble in a city. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. and so I wonder if that would have been the thing for Punk that like, yeah, Collision isn't going to do dynamite numbers because just logistics, like it's Saturday night at 8 p.m., Turns out some interesting things also happen on other TV channels <laughs> during the uh, college football season, say, mm -hmm. or uh, other times of year. Um, and so it's going to be a tough get. Like people go out on Saturday night, they watch big sporting events on Saturday nights. And so it's going to be tough to get people to watch. I bet it'll have killer DVR numbers, but oh, yeah. I don't, it's not going to do very well live. Is that really going to matter to Punk? I don't know. Like yeah, that could be a thing where he's like, I don't care. They built a show around me <laughs> and I'm going to find a way to say like, well, maybe it's not the biggest commercial success, but it is the biggest success because it's the best creatively or we're putting on better matches or we're trying harder over here or something like that. Like I could see ways that that would still like be, you know, something he'd be okay with. Um, it was interesting. It did seem like, you know, okay, if you take MJF out of that and replace him with CM Punk on that poster, the poster seems to be pretty much exactly what people thought, with the exception of Orange Cassidy. That was a weird one to me because it's not like, obviously, Orange Cassidy is not someone that you think of as a problem child backstage by any means um mm -hmm. and everyone else on that poster i guess joe really isn't either but he's just you know has the obvious connection to punk but everybody mm -hmm. else in there it's like well there's been some things here 
But this is, I guess this would be my question is I question the wisdom of, do you really want to make an Island of misfit toys? That's led by the guy who's got this like weird sense of, well, I must be this locker room leader and take control of all the, like that feels like, yeah. wouldn't you want to put like the most laid back people around CM Punk, like give him orange Cassidy and Darby Allen, <laughs> like all of these guys that are just like, yeah, they're going to show up and they're going to do their job and they're going to be great. And they're not going to care about the drama, like put punk on the Moxley show. Cause you know, who's not going to bring drama to the arena, John Moxley, he's going to go, dude, mm -hmm. shut up. What are you talking about? I just want to drink my fake beers and hang out with my hot wife and <laughs> and make people bleed. Like outside of that, I don't care. <laughs> no, that that's exactly right. And at, when you kind of break this uh, down, I mentioned that they had the two two champions front and center. Well, they also have the tag team champions, the trios champion, the Ring of Honor Television champion. They don't have any of the Blackpool Combat Club, but which has Claudia Castagnoli as ROH. Um, world champion and the lucha brothers as the tag champions but you have every aew men's title featured on this and that kind of leads to that credence of i mentioned earlier that maybe the the champions themselves are ambiguous between the shows where they're going to be wrestling on both and with orange cassie's gimmick right now he's he's kind of like that old school tv title it's wrestled on every single show he defends it all the time he's up to 21 defenses and now he's going to face 20 other men in a battle royal which we'll get to in a little bit but it, this poster just shows that, hey, we're going to push Andrade, Powerhouse Hobbs, and Miro. And we're finally going to give them actual stuff to do. And it's just a bunch of champions. Like I, I don't know how much more we can read into it other than that. Because, I mean, I know we have FTR there and they're Punk's boys. But it feels like, at, at least initially, they may not be doing a brand split. Like, I, I don't know. I, I have... I guess I'm given more questions than I have answers, even though I'm kind of talking out of both sides of my mouth. It's there's, there's just so much going on and we just genuinely don't know. Yeah. And you know, promo material is one of those things that like, you can't always go by because sometimes it's just, you know, as a graphic designer, sometimes it's like, well, who do I have an asset of that fits best in the spot? Like mm -hmm. the Thunder Rosa inclusion is interesting for sure, because you're going out of your way there um, to highlight someone that it hasn't been on TV in a very long time, but everybody else, it's like, you know, eh, well, like with the, like orange Cassidy, I guess he is a champion. So maybe that was it. Maybe it was just, mm -hmm. Hey, let's put all the champions on this thing. Um, I honest to goodness forgot that FTR were the tag champs for a second. <laughs> You're not the only one. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it could just be, it's another show and punk's going to be on that show. And the box are going to be on Wednesdays. And that's really all there's going to be to it. Like, it's not going to be some WWE roster divide or anything like that. It's just going to be, we're keeping these two or three individuals mostly separate. Um, but I even, like, there's a part of me that thinks that all of this, like, brand split talk is kind of work. Because, I mean, you're telling me that it wouldn't absolutely own that if they kind of have the like 
rumor out there that oh the bucks don't want to work with punk and it's this whole deal that eventually one of those saturday nights punk's going to be staring up the ramp and the elite are going to roll in like the back of the ring and give him a super kick party and then you're off to punk tr versus the elite like it's gotta happen like it's gonna happen at some point and so they're really just delaying the inevitable if they do in fact try to make this more of a hard and fast thing because it never lasts for wwe and it wouldn't last for them either and those guys are gonna have to do because you have this is the thing that i think is so like interesting about this is that AEW for the first time that I can think of since like the WWF WCW invasion angle where one promotion has a literal dream match that they can run that is completely comprised of wrestlers. They have under contract, like a literal dream match is CM Punk and FTR versus Kenny in the box. Like it just is like, that's an absolute dream match now. And at AEW you got all those guys they're already there like so you can mm-hmm. do the match like you've managed to build a dream match without you know like without having to bring someone new in yeah. um so i feel like i don't know not and i'm not saying that this whole thing is a work because obviously that's not the case but the brand split the like, oh, these guys are they're never going to talk to each other. They're never going to work to each other. Well, we heard that about Chris Jericho a few weeks ago, too. And then all of a sudden, it's Chris Jericho that's in the meeting. And now the rumor is that Chris Jericho was the one who floated the initial idea to rehire Ace Steel. So <laughs> that's why I'm kind of like, no one knows anything. No one <laughs> knows anything. And so who knows? There's obviously something going on. But at the end of the day, am I going to be totally shocked if this like brand split really only was there to serve kayfabe purposes? I'm uh, I'm not going to be that surprised. Yeah. So let, let's kind of break it down this way, Jeremy. Fred and I have talked extensively about this and uh, kind of what we would do and how we would kind of go about it. I want your opinion on this. If, if you are booking the return of punk and you, you have all these other factors kind of uh, surrounding you. And uh, a lot of it, we don't know, but there's enough public facing where we kind of understand where people lie. How are you booking his return and how quickly are you going to that dream match? I would tease it in like some interesting ways where I would have say like a trios tag tournament where if the results fell a certain way, that would be a matchup that we would get in the next round. And one of them loses. And so fans are like, ah, we almost had it. What were they going to do? If uh, of course they're not going to, of course they're not going to pull the trigger. And then you find another little way to tease it like that. And then you, you know, you do maybe something where like Kenny's got the title and punks on a hot streak. And so how do you deny CM punk a title shot when he's so over right now? And so how do they wiggle out of that? And they find a little way to wiggle out of that until eventually you finally drop the hammer, say, six months out 
something like that. You don't want to wait too long because Tony always likes to, hey, we got to save this for a rainy day. It's like me and Zelda. Like, I've been playing a lot of Tears of the Kingdom lately where it's like I'll get a good weapon and you're like, I don't want to use this because I don't want it to break. And so mm-hmm. the whole time I'm running around with twigs just trying to beat up goblins uh, because I don't want to use the sword I have because the sword's going to break and then I won't have it. But I've hamstrung myself the whole game the whole time. There's my Zelda analogy for the day. Uh, and so I, it's like Tony does that with matchups where it's like, ah, oh, we got this dream matchup and this dream matchup and we can do all these different things. And he never gets around to any of them because people get hurt or contracts expire or whatever. And so you don't want to wait too long, but I give it like six months and I do a couple little teases there here and there where fans feel like, oh my goodness, they're going to do it. And then they don't do it and they maybe give up hope. And that's when Super Kick Party mm-hmm. were off to the races. That's actually, I mean, it would basically be the exact same way this, they started the invasion, now that I think about it, because of Lance Storm with the Super Kick that kicked off the invasion. Uh, you know, that you have the Bucks Super Kick CM Punk and we're off to the races. FTR makes the save, they bail, and there we go. It's the Elite versus Punk and FTR, and we've got our big program that's going to take us, you know, through say uh uh, full gear whatever it is so you your thinking is that this match happens within about a six month time frame will it i don't know would i do that yes (laughs) because it's punk who knows in six months he could blow out another leg he could blow up blow out all a his coworkers. Yeah, like, you know, who knows? He's going to be sitting there eating muffins, doing God knows what again. You can't, <laughs> you can't trust that, like, it's going to be there forever. So I would buy, like, full gear. That's the main event for full gear. Um, if not, even, like, we tried to do it quicker than that. Uh, but that feels like the earliest you can really do it because you don't want to mess with it around Forbidden Door because you want to make that more the New Japan versus AEW kind of thing. And then it's like, well, you don't want to do it. I mean, I guess you could do it for Wembley. Um, but I, I think everybody kind of has earmarked Kenny and Will for that. And that feels right. Um, mm-hmm. And so maybe you could do the big angle to like kick off the feud at Wembley, but then what do you do the literal week after for the pay-per-view? Who knows? That's going to be really strange anyway. And you definitely don't want to do that match on one week build. Um, So I would personally, I would say like November, let's do it around full gear. Um, What Tony will do. I mean, who knows how long uh, we'll, end with this and we will probably end up circumventing back to the punk conversation as we talk about dynamite and how things are, are trending towards double or nothing. But in your opinion, Jeremy, how long is too long to wait for this match? Because you mentioned that punk could get injured again. I believe he's 47 years old. And on top of that, he has a loose cannon for a mouth. And like, that's, he just kind of says what's on his mind for better or worse. And like kind of with the invasion, one of the unfortunate things was, and some of it was out of WWE's control. Some of it was they screwed it up was they had a lot of wrestlers under time Warner contract and not WCW contract. And they, they, they missed the ship in a a whole lot of ways. How long is too long to wait for this thing because of how much money can be made right now. And I asked that because Tony Khan loves the slow play. He loves to plant seeds as you kind of laid out in your, your kind of fantasy booking idea. 
He loves to plant those seeds. So you think it's going to happen and then you anticipate it. And then he comes and brings it out of nowhere. And then it, it makes it all the better. Like the Wardlow story took three plus years. Uh, the Adam page story took two and a half. Like he takes time with these things. Time isn't on their side with this. So in your opinion, when's too late? Yeah, I mean, the, I think the problem is that we don't know what too late is because too late is determined by Punk's body and his mouth. Uh, mm-hmm. And so it's like this weird, like Schrodinger's like angle, right? Like <laughs> Schrodinger's wrestling program where it's like, I mean, it could still work. It could be fine. We don't know until like we actually like, we give it a go and is punk like actually gonna stay healthy for this thing or you know uh if if we decide to push it off how long is is he gonna be around for if he couldn't if he can stay a couple years that's too long but within like a year i would say is fine but that is provided that he's around to do it and because you don't have that guarantee whereas like Wardlow, Hangman, like these guys, I guess Hangman's not as young, um, but these are guys that are kind of up and coming. They're building their name and you're taking your time with them to like really build them, which those were both examples of it done extraordinarily well. Uh, But with Punk, it's like we're just trying to get like one real hot program out of this because everybody in this match is already made it's just we have the guys we can make the program so i don't see any reason to delay it other than to make it bigger and you can definitely make it bigger by putting it off putting it off putting it off as long as you're giving people little like little tastes along the way you could do it next year at double or nothing you could do it next year you know at an all-in or something like that um but is Punk going to be able to stay healthy and stay, you know, cheery? Uh, who knows? And so I've, that's, the, that's the tough part is you really, it, it's really kind of out of your control. Yeah, I, I think out of your control is a really good way to phrase it. Um, I'm, I can't wait to see how this plays out because this is, this is like I, I'm a I've become a big Big Brother fan um, a, after I got married to my wife and she got me into the show and there's all sorts of like twists and turns and like backstabs and stuff and this just feels like one of those old school reality shows that debuted in the early 2000s. We just get to see it in in pro wrestling and this yeah. is it makes it fun and incredibly frustrating and annoying. But that's that's part of the deal. Um, and I no one almost... has ever been less here to make friends than CM Punk. <laughs> <laughs> Cookie Monster, Chick Magnet, whatever you want to call him. He's, uh, he's like Cardale Jones. I'm not here to play school. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm, he is not here to play friends. And that let's roll this into Dynamite, where last week we had an all-timer. And this week was, like, what, what was your opinion? I, I've seen people think this is really good. I thought this was... Like for a really good dynamite, I thought this wasn't very good. Like it was on like kind of like the lower end of like a really good show, but it had a lot of good stuff. 
Yeah, I mean, it was a show where things happened. I'm totally, like, it's really hard for me to compare it to last week's because I was actually in the building for last week's Dynamite. Um, and so that was, like, an all-time episode. Uh, and the, and it got the live bump for me. <laughs> and so then I watched last night's. And I thought, overall, it was a pretty good show. There was nothing that's going to really stand out in my mind um you know we got uh an angle for uh the elite and the blackpool guys that um it wasn't like some like big thing it was an announcement but it was one that we already kind of figured was coming so uh, um things happened it wasn't a nothing happening show the, none of the matches i thought were bad but none of them were like blow away. Uh, so it was a show. It was a pretty good show. It was certainly better than most episodes of other wrestling companies, weekly TV shows, but comparing it to the dynamite standard. Yeah. Like you said, it's like lower end of good show. Yeah. Lower end of good show, I think is a perfect way to put it because there was good stuff and we'll, we'll kind of start here. I, we are big Christian fans on this podcast. We love Christian Cage, and I think this is arguably the best character arc of his career. He's just been doing tremendous stuff ever since he joined the company, and he really is kind of living up to that phrase, outworking everyone, and he did that here. Wardlow calls him out and says, if you're going to uh, spit at me, so at least spit in my face. And then they just kick his ass with the ladder, Christian <laughs> and Luchasaurus, and kind of makes him look like a geek, but Christian... Once again, outworking everybody. This dude is just having a phenomenal run. I kind of like that, like, it did kind of make Wardlow look like a geek, but in a way that really works for his character, that, like, he's too, like, strong. He's a meathead. Yeah, like, he's too much of a meathead. Like, he's too strong for his own good, and he thinks he can just punch his way out of anything. And he's going to have to learn that he has to be smarter, and that's what Iron's going to teach him. So I think that's actually, like, a pretty interesting little wrinkle to give him. Um, what I thought was so interesting about this segment was how split the crowd was. Did you notice that? Was that, like, yeah. they were cheering Christian, whereas last week in Detroit, I had to go back on YouTube and watch Christian's promo because I didn't hear a word of it. Like he legitimately got the Dominic reaction of people booing him, you know, so loud that they couldn't hear what he was saying and he couldn't keep going and he had to just keep talking over him. It was like, they didn't have to do it by turning on the vacuum cleaner. Like it was totally authentic Detroit wanted to boo that man they were chanting edge is better uh it was it was hilarious but then last night in austin christian gets this like i i think i had called it in the slack like the house of black reaction where people Ooh. are like excited to see him because it's like oh it's christian and we like that christian's here and christian does mm -hmm. cool stuff he has funny promos but he's a heel and so we do want to boo him but we also want to cheer him and so it's this weird like blend and i feel like house of black gets very similar reactions where people don't know what to do they cheer because they're cool but then they're also heels and they work the matches as heels and so it's like 
well, we can't really cheer them against their they're wrestling the acclaimed and daddy ass like oh no what do we do here and so that's always been a thing with house of black that i've kind of noticed that i thought was interesting and i noticed it last night with christian and i'm not sure is that an austin thing and i tend to think it is because detroit was so vociferous last week unless that christian promo was so legendary that now he's made and it's going to be impossible to boo him because it was just so freaking funny that he comes out and tells all the wrestlers with dead fathers that they have daddy issues yeah uh, i i, I kind of like how you how you phrased it it's this is just a, a weird dichotomy and in this promotion you do have you don't necessarily always have ambiguity between faces and heels, but you do with some. There's there's always going to be people who love wrestlers like Kenny Omega. And even when he was a heel, he wouldn't get all heel reactions. Don Callis got most of those reactions for him because people still loved watching Kenny Omega wrestle, including myself. And Christian Cage has just gotten so good at being this just demonstrative character. And it's almost like the Stone Cold Steve Austin syndrome where even though he's a heel, you still love him because he's just this utter badass and and like the anti-hero. And while Christian's not a one-to-one comparison, his shtick is just so good that you can't help but love it. And that's that's kind of where I'm at. And the, and you see the crowds really responding to it. And and the House of Black comparison, like the spooky stuff, like there's debates about that all the time. Does it have its place in wrestling? Sure. Do I want it? I don't really care. Just don't. Don't do like Bray Wyatt, the fiend spooky shit. And I'll, I'll deal with whatever it is because once they get in the ring, like that match with the elite for the trios titles, like I gave that one five stars. I absolutely loved that match and they can absolutely go in the ring and they have really good chemistry and they don't, they don't fight like spooky magic dudes. They just act like they're in a cult. And like, I can deal with that because the in ring is great. And with Christian, He's just such a snarmy, slimy little prick that you hate what he has to say, but he's just so good at saying it that you can't help but love him. I, I think he explained all that really well. It's interesting because, like, I guess the, the way I would describe him is cartoonishly evil at this point. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and the only other person I've ever seen turn themselves babyface by being cartoonishly evil is Chris Jericho. So it's kind of apt these two former partners that like maybe Christians picked that up from him. Um, now but, we need uh, a Stratus to come in the middle and make out a Christian in front of Chris Jericho's <laughs> face. And we have ourselves a ball game. Well, we got Anna J it's close enough. We'll just do that. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, this is, this is a great opening angle and they they did not waste any time. They went right into um, one of my favorite tag teams, Big Bill and Lee Moriarty versus Freshly Scooby George Cassidy, the international champion, and Darby Allen. This match ruled, and I, I think I'll, I'll kind of start here. My favorite spot was uh, Darby going for a code red, and Big Bill, like as Darby's about to start the flip, just grabs him by the neck and pulls him off of Lee Moriarty to go for a <laughs> choke slam. Like big bill. Like, yeah, he was big Cass and he was with Enzo, but Oh, big bill is one of my favorite wrestlers in the world today. 
because he's not phenomenal, but he's so good when he's put into spots and he knows what to do. He knows how to sell. He knows how to get these guys over. And he's also smart because he never takes the pin. Like They can beat Lee Moriarty like a drum because they don't have any plans for him and he's getting valuable in-ring time. Then when they want to push him, they can just fire it up and all's good. Like, I loved this. I gave it three and a half. This was, this was just a lot of fun. And then, of course, Darby Allen wins with the side headlock takeover, a nice little homage to MJF. This was, this was very well done and a really nice way to open the wrestling part of the show. Yeah, I also went three and a half on this. What I really liked was the way Darby and Orange Cassidy were doing double team moves because they weren't really double team moves. They were like setting each other up for each other's solo like spots. And so, you know, it'd be like Orange Cassidy hits a guy and he happens to be in perfect position for Darby to do his move. And then Darby does the same thing for Orange Cassidy and it sets up the beach break. And it was, it really felt almost like a Marvel team up or something where, you know, it's like Iron Man shooting his beams and Captain America's, you know, reflecting it off the shield at the bad guys or whatever, <laughs> where it's like they're doing their solo stuff, but in ways that work together. Uh, they did that. And I don't, I'm sure I've seen matches where that's been done before, but it really <laughs> jumped out of me last night. Uh, maybe because I had just seen Guardians this week, but, um, I thought that was really cool. No, it it was. And I, I think, I think you mentioned it, the, it, the beach break into the coffin drop, just, it felt smooth. It, they, they had never really teamed before. So they didn't really have like those tag team moves, but it's almost like they, they watched the tapes and they understood where the other one was going to yeah. be. And then they just reacted off of it. And it was whoever put the match together, did a great job. Cause this was, this was excellent. And, you don't have to have four and a half star matches on television. You can have a three and a half star match, have a couple really cool spots and just have fun. And that's exactly what this was. And Darby got the win like the rest of the pillars did on this show, which was important and it continued a, and we'll talk about it, a very weird, weird build to the world title <laughs> match. Um, the, the next segment was very interesting. Alex Marvez, um, was backstage trying to get a scoop from the Bucks, talking about Kenny Omega. And they said, Kenny's pretty beat up. And then all of a sudden you have the, the Blackpool Combat Club behind him, uh, Moxley, Castagnoli, and Yuta. And they don't do like the Will Hobbs car angle from a few dynamites ago, but they do throw these guys into uh, a like a 2023 Dodge Ram hood. And I, I didn't really have an issue that this was a car angle, but it was another car angle, so it kind of gets looped in. And this obviously set up what happened later in the show. Yeah, it was I I my entire notes for this are BCC beatdown bucks. Sure. Cause it, I mean it was like a segment, it accomplished exactly what it needed to. It was short, it was there. It was like, okay, it was like, you know, B-roll, basically. <laughs> yeah, um, It's there for the video package and there to set up later, you know, tonight. Uh, and yeah, nice little segment. So let me ask you this. Do you think that they're doing too much of the Blackpool Combat Club just blindsides the elite? Because it feels like that happens every single week. And uh, obviously we're going to get a payoff and we'll talk about that when we talk about the final segment of the show. But I don't necessarily think it makes the the elite look like geeks, 
But it's it's almost like the New Japan thing of nobody from Chaos is around to save Okada, and LIJ is never around to save Naito when all the other factions go out with their leader. But wh- why hasn't the Elite figured out that they need to travel in packs because they keep getting jumped? Do you think I'm reading too much into this, or do you think there's some credence there? No, I think there's there's something to that, and maybe... But they also have been doing, and granted, a lot of this has been on BTE, um, but there is friction between Kenny and the Bucks right now because Kenny knows that Matt gave Hangman the okay to hit him with the, uh, the whatchamacallit, the Lariat gimmick. What is that called? Oh, the Buckshot. Buckshot, that's it. Um, that, uh, you know... Kenny's seen that footage and he knows that Matt betrayed him. And so he did on AEW's YouTube say, if I can't trust the Bucks, if I can't trust Don Callis, if I can't trust family, who can I trust? And I think that question, unfortunately, got answered last night. Um, But uh, yeah, so there was like some tension there that maybe that's the reason, um, but maybe that's just me building my own headcanon because they haven't really spelled that out. I also don't like, I don't, I, it doesn't really bother me. So, you know, if if it does bother someone, I'm not going to tell them they're wrong. But for me, I'm just like, yeah, they got to the arena different times because of whatever, for some reason this happened and they I guess you could also read it as every time they leave an opening, the Blackpool Combat Club takes advantage of it. Maybe that's a more charitable way to look at it. I, you know, I I think that makes more sense with the motif of the Blackpool Combat Club because, like, in a in a much better and smarter way than how Edge was the ultimate opportunist. These guys are taking every opportunity to just beat the living crap out of the elite whenever they see a slight opening. So. I think that's that's a better way to phrase it, and I think I'm just uh, I'm not overthinking it, but I think I'm thinking about it in the wrong terms, and I think you cleared that up really nice. Um, shortly after this, Renee Paquette was backstage with Wardlow to get an update, and Arn Anderson almost threw ice at Wardlow's head, uh, telling him <laughs> he should have been out there, which was just great. And Wardlow challenges Christian Case to a ladder match at Double or Nothing, and I find this fascinating. Because Christian Cage is one of the inventors of TLC. Him, Edge, the Hardy Boys, the Dudley Boys, they created this match kind of out of nothing, and they made names for themselves as tag teams in uh, the early 2000s. Well, Christian being in a ladder match, and Wardlow, to my knowledge, has never wrestled in a ladder match. Uh, He's been in multi-man ones. He did the the grass ring one at Revolution last year. Great call. Okay, so he's... He's been in he's been in at least one, but challenging him to a ladder match for his own title leans into that meathead gimmick and Christian is almost like outworking him. And this is they're piecing this together really well. And I think this is other than the elite Blackpool Combat Club stuff. This is probably the most cohesive build that we have leading into double or nothing. Yeah, it really kind of is. I guess I well. I guess the women's build it has been cohesive. It just hasn't been that interesting. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, it's been it's been you know a pretty good build. Um, and I gotta think that Wardlow's losing this match, right? Like, because why else do the ladder match? Like, 
that maybe you keep this program going because you have Wardlow lose it here, but then you know mm-hmm. Arn gives him another get the Glock speech, and then he you know whatever. Well, I, here's my question for you, Jeremy. If they're going to have Christian win it, why did they have Wardlow win it back to begin with? Wouldn't it have just been smarter? Like, I get the heel-heel dynamic, but, like, making Wardlow a transitional champion for this belt, like, considering how he's been booked, kind of puts almost a nail in his coffin of maybe this guy isn't what we thought he might have been. Well, I don't know as though he'd be transitional. I think he'd get it back from Christian. I just don't know, like... I don't know why you'd book this and have Christian lose this ladder match. Like, I don't think their program's going to be done after the pay-per-view. Um, but I don't, I, I see this as being a step where Christian wins the belt. And like, you've got the international title has already done a thing where mm-hmm. someone's held it for a long time. And uh, the world title hasn't changed hands in a long time. So you can un- kind of like if the TNT title is a title that you're kind of moving back and forth between two guys, I don't think it's the end of the world. I don't know if that's what they're going to do. I just like I wouldn't have Christian lose a ladder match here, especially when he has Luchasaurus and Wardlow has Arn uh, and that's it. So maybe this builds to some sort of cage eventually, or we're putting Luchasaurus in a shark cage or something. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) A dinosaur cage, Uh, the Jurassic Park match. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Now that is what you call brand synergy, because if I'm not mistaken, it is Jurassic Park is a Warner Brothers product. And that that sounds exactly like something Tony Khan would do. Um, This I found interesting. Um, And. Kevin Hare and I both kind of called it in a different sense. Um, after the commercial break, Renee Paquette is backstage with international champion Orange Cassidy. And she mentions Kyle Fletcher. And Orange says, Kyle Fletcher should find Tony Khan if he wants a match for the international title. He said, hell, I'll fight them all. And to me, that screamed multi-man match. And we found out later when they ended up talking again that it's going to be a casino battle royal for the international title. And I'm, I'm really intrigued, one, because Battle Royals in this company are objectively great. The, as far as Battle Royals go, this company does a great job with them. I wonder where Orange Cassidy comes into play here. Is he in the first five? Is he the Joker? Um, because historically, they like to use the Joker as kind of a surprise. I, I'm very intrigued to see how they end up building this match. And I my guess is Orange Cassidy does not win. They've been yeah. kind of building it up where he keeps having to battle all these injuries, but like, I'm, I'm very fascinated about what the booking is going to be here. Yeah, it'll be curious. Well, and it's going to be curious to see who else is in this match. Like if it was me, I would load this up with all of your Lucha dudes and all the guys that do cool stuff. And cause that's what I'd love to see this title be anyway, is just basically the X division title for AEW. Um, And so that you know we'll see who gets added in there uh but yeah um i was wondering the exact same thing about where is orange cassidy the joker because you could do that and then you like you announce that ahead of time the orange cassidy gets to come out last because he's the champ and then you don't have people going oh who's the joker gonna be who's the joker gonna be and then disappointed when the joker's like someone that's been off tv for a couple weeks um and so, or, I mean, maybe they do have someone. Maybe <laughs> Drew McIntyre shows up or something. I don't know. But, like, I, I doubt it. So I would probably 
I would probably just have Orange Cassidy be the Joker. Like he gets to be the Joker. It's his title match. And so because I guess wrestlers in AEW just get to book their own matches. And so (laughs) (laughs) he's decided that he gets to come out last because it's his match. Whatever. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's an interesting dichotomy. That's for sure. Um, But I will say this. It's uh. It's going to be interesting, and we're going to talk a lot more about kind of the double or nothing build throughout the rest of the show. And next week, when we preview the um, the fourth rendition of Double or Nothing, there, no, it's the fifth rendition of Double or Nothing. Man, yeah. we're already we're already about to start year five of this company, and that's that's a fascinating one. Quite double or nothing. <laughs> I love it. Um, Next, we have the Spanish guy, Sammy Guevara versus the greatest job name of all time, Exodus Prime. Uh, I, I've seen some interesting ones. I saw a meme floating on the other day. A guy named Bobby Salsa from like Ooh. the early 1990s. Phenomenal job name. Obviously, you have Special Delivery Jones. Classic. But Exodus Prime, just tremendous. Makes really short work of him. And then Sammy cuts a very weird promo. I think we're getting a double turn here, Jeremy. I think Sammy Guevara has been, he's kind of been floating the, like being like a a heel leaning tweener. And then he went full blown heel. And then he feels like he's um, straying more towards face after the MJF stuff. But I, I I think we're going to end up getting Sammy Guevara and jungle boy double turning. And I think this is obviously he has a big connection to Austin with Russell circus and all that stuff, but it feels like, that's kind of the direction this is going. Yeah, it does. And I don't like it because I don't think Sammy's a very good baby face. Like he just isn't like, and it's not even, you know, it's just his face. Like, I don't know. <laughs> so that's things like, is there anything I could No, It's like that scene in uh step brothers where uh, Rob Riggle's telling Will Ferrell, like, I just want to punch you. It's like, why is there anything I can do? It's like, no, nah, it's just your face. Get... Well, I'll try to not do that with my face. Nothing you can do. I just don't like it. That's what I feel like with Sammy. Like he's just got that heel, those heel mannerisms, those heel, like he does baby face offense, but he's still just a heel. He just is. And so they keep trying to push him through that baby face hole. And I just don't think he fits. Um, but I do think your instincts are right here. Cause that is what it appears that they're setting up. Yeah. It's, I don't know how I'm going to like Sammy Guevara's new baby face run. Assuming it happens. The first one didn't really work. And then he ended up getting together with um, Tay Mello and them just making out on stage is a perfect heel shtick because, well, I mean, look at Tay Mello. And Sammy yeah. Guevara has a very punchable face. M- makes sense. And it- it'll be interesting. But some real heel shit came up right after this. Um, Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal go to the ring of Sanjay Dutton Satin. I'm saying to talk to Tony Schiavone. And they get jumped by Dax Harwood and Cash Wheeler before Karen Jarrett comes out and gives <laughs> some nut shots before they end up <laughs> destroying FTR with guitars. This was great. This, this was, was yeah. This was classic Jeff Jarrett. I'm just gonna be an absolute dick, and I'm going to I'm gonna bring out my hot wife, and she's going to kick you in, or hit you in the balls, and I'm gonna get get my shine in the ring, and you're gonna be laying in a bloody pool. Like this was awesome. Yeah, I like everything about this was fantastic. Taz giggling like immediately the way that Tony said uh, Sanjay. Duh. 
And Taz, you just immediately hear Taz snickering. <laughs> and then going, bet, bet. it's just funny. <laughs> so you got to think that that there's pop- some kind of inside lore there. I bet Sh- Shivani was trying to pop Taz. <laughs> and then, like, Jay Lethal getting stripped to his underwear, just, like, ripping his clothes off. Um, and so it was like, it, this was totally what this feud needed, because I feel like it really gave it some juice. And then it just got completely ridiculous with, like, Karen Jarrett's in the ring. And then the guitars don't break clean at all. Like, that looked so brutal. I have in my notes just, this is perfect, no notes. Like, I just loved it. Like, this was such a great segment. Yeah, it was... It's just one of those little things, and I, I love the little things. Um, it's it's awesome. This match is going to be fun. I would love to see them built up Jarrett and Lethal. They won't, but yeah. I would love it. Um, it would it would add a little diff, excuse me, different element to this company. And Jarrett's over as hell. Lethal's over as hell. Like, just let them have fun in the tag division for a few months, and then. Have them drop the titles right before Forbidden Door, and then you can do some major programs. Yeah, I guess the problem is, like, the match quality is not really there with them. And that's kind of like AEW's always kind of hung, especially their tag team hat on match quality. And so that's sort of the issue is that, like, I really enjoy their antics. And then the bell rings. I'm kind of like, eh, I'm a little bored, honestly, (laughs) like until like we start getting to the home stretch. Um, And so that would be my only like, uh, but, you know, there are plenty of champions that don't wrestle very often in this company. So. Oh, yeah. And we'll we'll end up talking about that a little more. Um, Dr. Britt Baker, DMD and Hikaru Shida with new music. I thought this was a very good music change. Um, and they faced the outcast Ruby Soho and Tony Storm. I hated the end of this match, and I'll tell you why. I thought that the work was good. Um, you're always going to get good work out of these four, especially when Ruby Soho is going up against equal or better um, workers, because I feel like she works a little too much to her opponent than el- being able to really elevate anybody. But Ruby had, or sorry, Tony has the spray paint, and Britt Baker turns around. And it's so blatant in the camera shot that you yeah. can see the spray paint that I'm like, okay, there's no way Britt doesn't see the spray paint. And it, I just felt it made her look like a geek. I don't think that was the intention. I think he was supposed to have been blocked out, but it wasn't. And now you have Britt just looking like a total geek. And like it accomplished what it was supposed to. But, and we get, we're now getting that uh, we were told that uh, Tony Storm has. Four wins in five calendar days and now is going to um, eventually challenge for the women's title. I believe it is that double or nothing, but man, it this did not end well. No, I didn't. I don't like even beyond Brit not seeing the spray paint. How does the ref not see that she's covered like her face was covered in green paint like does that does that i mean i guess that's always the thing with like whenever people do miss too but like mm-hmm. i mean qu- quite obviously she's been sprayed in the face with spray paint so which also i want to know what are they using for this spray paint that they're able to just keep spraying this in people's faces right like i wouldn't take a spray paint shot to the face it's it can't be actual spray paint but yeah it's, it's green gotta be and it's, 
I, I wonder if it's canola oil with green dye. Maybe. Or maybe there's like some stuff you can get at like Party City or something for like doing i don't know like shirts or something that's non-permanent or something like that that you can do and it's safer i don't know she's a tooth doctor not an eye doctor so i don't know if uh if brit knows what's <laughs> all of the things that you can actually do out here but um yeah i i was just i thought about that for an inordinately long amount of time last night i was like what are they spraying in people's faces because then uh, in detroit uh, people were around the guardrail asking Soraya to spray L's on their t-shirts and she was doing it, but it didn't look like it was definitely there, but it wasn't like super dark. So th there's something going on, but I don't know what, but I'm definitely, if it comes to it, put me through a table before you spray me in the face with spray paint any day of the week. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause th that kind of shit can blind you. So it's gotta be gimmicked. Um, <laughs> And then right after this, we had the announcement of the 20-man Battle Royal. And then, so let's talk about this portion. Um, Tony Khan made a massive announcement. He officially announced Collision. Um, and then he said, we're going to announce next week where the first Collision is going to happen. We all know it's Chicago. Um, we called it on this show a month ago when we saw that the United Center was booked for the 17th. I'm like, that's the day Punk's coming back. And so far, that's kind of what the trend is. But I want your take on this, Jeremy. He explicitly, explicitly said there would be an announcement made on TNT. Yep. And then David Bixenspan, um, renowned wrestling journalist, um, said, did you mean to say TBS? And he said, no, I said what I said, and I meant what I said. And then he didn't make an announcement on TNT, but they made an announcement at the upfronts. It's this yeah, whole thing's I... kind of wonky. Because Collision will be on TNT, right? Yes. But he so said maybe, the announcement would be made on TNT. Yeah. Maybe Tony just got his wires crossed there and he meant the show would be on TNT, not the announcement. Or maybe like that's what he meant, thinking like people didn't know it was the show. I don't know. It didn't really make any sense. I thought for sure that the whole... Adam Cole getting removed from the building was just a kayfabe reason to send him to wherever for inside the NBA because they love to use Adam Cole for those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. um, I thought they were going to have Adam Cole go there and be like, hey, we're AEW and we're going to be on Saturday nights now. Um, and instead, you know, obviously, as we'll see in the next segment, that wasn't the case. Um, so, uh, yeah, I don't know. It was weird. Unless maybe it did happen at some point during the basketball broadcast. I obviously didn't watch mm -hmm. the game because I was watching wrestling. Um, so maybe they made some announcement during the broadcast. I don't yeah. know. That's a good point. We we don't know. But it, it the whole thing was kind of convoluted and weird. And what wasn't, and still was, was the next match. False Count Anywhere, the Ocho Chris Jericho versus Roderick Strong. Um, uh, like, let, let's talk about the table spot. Oh, um, also, Billy Graham passed away. Um, oh my goodness that was I'm still <laughs> that was like it, it would be like so i don't want to wish ill on anybody but if somebody like one of the dudley boys uh had just passed away and then you announce that during a table spot it would be a really cool little homage <laughs> yeah. but to do it for superstar billy graham and i understand these shows are really timed out but 
what what a world man (laughs) (laughs) we'd like to solemnly announce the passing of billy graham as chris jericho is suplexed through the table it's like that castellanos uh drive to right field call (laughs) (laughs) phenomenal and then What's not being talked about is what happened shortly after that. I think it was when they were about to go into the, the stairwell. They they announced, however announced, and Rampage will be at a special time. Like yeah. it, It's almost like Tony Khan was in his ears. Hey, you have to say these couple things during this match. Yep. Oh, crap. What am I supposed to do? Poor Excalibur. Like Just... the Rampage one is whatever. It's fine. I get it. Like, you, you know, those things are awkward, mm-hmm. but they're ever present and I understand them. There is no reason you couldn't have waited for the Billy Graham thing for like, wait for during Roosh's entrance. Like while Roosh is walking to the ring, be like, you know, yeah, we're excited for this match, but we do want to mention solemnly, you know, Billy Graham has passed. Um, you know, we wish, you know, his family the best. And then, and then a match starts as opposed to they're brawling in the back covered in ice cream and it's going to put through a table while you're trying to be very like solemn and respectful okay. about the passing of Billy Graham. So my favorite part of this whole thing was Chris Jericho gets the soft serve ice cream in his face and then to wipe it off. He grabs a towel out of a trash can to wipe his face. <laughs> like, this whole thing was absurd. But I will say, um, you could tell Roderick Strong had his working boots on. He was yeah. into this. He he had Chris Jericho's chest bleeding within, like, five minutes. And then they had that really cool chop battle where they're in the stairwell. Oh, like, that was so on good. The side, on the side, on this little, like, I don't even, on this little platform. It was, it was probably, like, three feet wide yeah. just off off center of the actual stairwell oh it was awesome and then awesome the finish visual. the finish we kind of saw what was coming based on uh what last week had with the band from the building adam cole comes and um beats the living crap out of chris jericho and jericho's just lying in a in potting soil just sweaty beyond belief after getting a last shot and roddy gets the one two three they celebrate this was very good like the cage match i made apparently had this up up as like a 9.22 i'm not even close to that but i i did think this was a borderline four-star match three three seven five plus like this was this was good it was hard hitting they worked it well they tried hard and there was some really fun memorable spots yeah, I there are times when you can tell Jericho just has this bug that like he's wrestling some new guy he hasn't wrestled before and he wants to just turn the clock back and have their match. And he did like half of that with Roderick Strong where like half of this match was okay, let's go out there and let's do the Roderick Strong thing and you're going to you know, give me a backbreaker on the apron and we're going to chop the crap out of each other. And we're going to just be black and blue when this thing's over. I'm like, yeah, let's go do that. Let's be hard hitting. Let's be physical. Uh, But then also let's do the Chris Jericho thing of being like Chris Jericho is the greatest false count anywhere wrestler of all time, because he's just so good. Like he's so funny, but never in a way that undercuts the match. Like it's always like this, like, you know, it's a character that seems realistic but he's just so over the top and he's this rock star and he just can't believe that he's being so wronged all the time and and it just works so perfectly uh the you know he'll get 
some move over on the other guy or hit him with something, but then they do something and then he's complaining and um, he's just the greatest. Like this was Jericho at his best. Uh, I still can't believe the Billy Graham thing. I still think about it like every so often last night I was crying. I was laughing so hard. Like hours after the show ended, we were talking about it on the Slack and uh, I was still just tears in my eyes. Cause it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Um, but I did have one nitpick in this. Like you had the nitpick earlier about like, you know, why aren't the elite traveling together? My nitpick mm-hmm. in this match was why did the rope break work? Because a fall, Ooh, good call. the rope break is only there to signify that you have broken the field of competition because as we've seen at times, you don't have to actually touch the rope. You can be under the rope and outside the ring. And that also counts as a rope break. But if the falls count anywhere, then what is the rope signifying and signifying nothing? Because you could get that submission anywhere in the arena. So why why did it work? That that's a great point. Um, like I, I guess on a falls count anywhere, like I, I see where you're going with it. But I, is it always canon where a rope break ends up? Like you can't use it in a false count anywhere because like I don't I know. I think it should be because like logically, the reason that the rope break works at all is negated by the existence of the false count anywhere stipulation. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I mean the the answer the real answer is it worked in the match because they didn't think this hard about it. <laughs> yeah, because I guess my my take on a false count anywhere is you can. Like you can just have a fall count like in a garden, like they ended mm-hmm. up having. But I never thought about the rope break. That's that's interesting, and that's a really good, um, really good call out, Jeremy. Um, after this, we had La Faction in Gobernables. Roosh, one of my favorite wrestlers in this company, locker room leader Roosh, um, against Jungle Boy Jack Perry, and Roosh just beats the ever living shit. <laughs> Out of Jungle Boy, Jack Perry. And Jungle Boy gets the roll-up, which um, I did not realize at the time, but was an homage to how MJF beat Jungle Boy at Double or Nothing, I believe, 2020. And bada-bing. Very odd way to have Jungle Boy end up um, having like likely his last match going into the pay-per-view, but... It is what it is. Then Preston Vance jumped in the ring, started beating him up. And then Darby and Sammy come out, make the save, kind of the whole pillars thing. Hey, we're going to unite against MJF. And here we are, the weirdest build in company history. Yep. And also another nitpick thing. Sammy's there and he's in his gear. But Sammy, they specific, and I will give them credit for this. They specifically mentioned during the Jericho Roderick Strong match that Sammy had to leave the arena because he is part of the Jericho Appreciation Society. Mm-hmm. But he stayed in his gear. So did he just go like sit in his car in his gear and then like wait to be told he could come back into the arena or what? It was just weird. Like, why you could have just put him in street clothes, let him shower, get into his street clothes, and then make the save like that, and the whole thing would have made more sense. But I digress. Um, yeah, it's a really weird build. I don't really know. The match was cool. It wasn't great. I had like three and a quarter. Um, 
but it was you know just like a fun little tv match with some like real hard hitting stuff roosh doing cool roosh stuff um but uh yeah yeah it give me more roosh that's yeah. that my biggest takeaway from this whole thing renee paquette was backstage with a AEW world champion MJF and he just slaps the microphone out of her hand and storms off. He's pissed that he has to defend the title against these bozos. So I'm curious if that is a seed MJF Mm. slapping the mic out of Renee's hand because it is full AEW canon that Mox and Renee are married. And so I wonder if down the road, Mox is going to have not taken too kindly to the way that MGF treated his wife. And that's going to be, you know, okay. the way that we get to another program with them. I'm going to remember you said that because I didn't think about that at all. That That is a brilliant observation. And then right after that, we had, uh, after a commercial break, Paquette with Tony Storm. And that's the challenge for Double or Nothing. So that match is official. But now we have the main event. Um, Ricky Starks versus Switchblade Jay Wright. Jay White with Juice Robinson. And this is pretty good. Um, I find I found it interesting, like trying to think how they get out of this match. And Ricky Starks being just the hothead that he is, ends up using the chair, gets disqualified, and that the heat kind of still stays. And I'm guessing they'll probably run this back at double or nothing. I don't necessarily think I like that, but we know Jay White has to win this feud. And yeah. now you're you're just kind of running with it. I, these guys have something better in them, and I'm excited to see it. I gave it three and a half. Just solid TV match. That uh, was another three and a quarter. I I think this is the worst feud in the company right now. Um, mm-hmm. And that may be, like, extreme, especially considering how messed up the main event program is right now. But they took – they had Jay White coming in. IWGP champion, like they had a capital G guy and they had Ricky Starks who through the MJF program, they had also turned into a guy in AEW. People react huge for Ricky still. And now they're in a program where both of them just are, it's such a mid card program that no one cares about. Like, they have managed to cool off both of these people in record time. Um, I'm just ready for this to be over with so that we can get on to something new for both of them. Because I think it was, like, they should have just brought Jay White in right away against someone who was, like, enough of a name, but that he could just decisively win that feud. Um, I don't know if that's a pack. Like, that would have been a great shout, like, Pack Jay White. Who doesn't want to see that? And Pack can lose. Like he, you know, you can always get your heat back with him. Um, or I don't know. Like there's a million other people. That's just the first one that came to mind. But putting him out there with Ricky Starks and then giving us this wet fart of a program, man, I'm just so disappointed in it. I'm so disappointed with the way they've used Jay White. I'm so disappointed with the way they've used Ricky since he's been hot. Like it's one thing to have Wardlow be so hot and for him to cool off. Because, like, yeah, there are some limitations there. There really aren't those limitations with Ricky Starks. Like, sky's the limit. He's short, but, like, he doesn't necessarily look great getting off the bus. But we know that that doesn't necessarily matter too, too much. Um, Yeah, I don't, like, 
maybe I'm out on a limb here, but I think this is the worst feud in AEW, and I'm really, really looking forward for it to be over. Me too. Um, but then we we had Don Callis coming out, um, and Callis doesn't really get an opportunity to talk much. He he says like that um, I'm the victim, not Kenny Omega. Uh, because Callus was responsible for him winning the world title, him coming to AEW, yada yada, bing bang. Kenny comes out, tries to plow through security, and then um, the Blackpool Combat Club come comes in, uh, jumps him. They they end up in the ring, and they end up uh, kind of calling him out. The Bucks come out with weapons, and here comes the returning Hangman Adam Page with the eye patch. Kenny Omega gives him kind of a look, hands him the cleaner broom with the barbed wire. And then they go take out the Blackpool combat club. Hangman page announces that the elite is back and anarchy in the arena. And one question I have for you, is this positioning hangman page as the leader of the elite? That was my immediate takeaway because it was this whole segment was about Kenny, but hangman page was the one who grabbed the mic. Hangman page is the one who announced the match announced that we are the elite it felt like they were trying to position him as the alpha in this group. Interesting. I guess now that you mention it, I don't know if I would go so far as to say like the leader of the group. Cause it doesn't seem, I still feel like they are, I don't know, but I do kind of, I like, I kind of see what you're saying where they're positioning him to be the biggest, like single star out of this from the elite where, um, you know, he gets to make the big triumphant return. And because I took the we are the elite um, thing just being like it was because the the highlight of that was he was saying we for the first time, like in a in a very long time that it was like, oh, like he's identifying as part of the elite again, whereas previously he hadn't. Um, and so it was kind of this like, oh, like the band is officially back together now. Um, but by giving him like, yeah, that shine and that rub, it does seem like, you know, maybe Hangman's the one they're going to sooner than later for, you know, an MJF program or something like that, which that would slap. I'm here for that all day. Um, who knows? But uh, yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, this is, I'm very interested to kind of see what where this ends up going because it's there's a lot of directions it can go, and I'm still convinced we're getting we're getting a a Golden Lovers reunion in Kota Ibushi. But I know you mentioned earlier that you thought that that chapter had closed, and they, we kind of had an answer. I'm yeah. not 100 percent convinced, especially with the ambiguous nature of Don Callis and the loose relationship with Konosuke Takeshita. Yeah. Um, and it'll be it'll be fascinating to kind of see how this shapes up. But we have now, from the time we're recording, ten days until Double or Nothing, and this show could end up being really good. But I think this could be end up being the worst AEW pay per view of all time, and that's still a good baseline. Right. That could still be like a seven and a half out of ten show. And it's still the yeah. worst AEW pay-per-view of all time. Be the best AEW pay-per-view in, or WWE pay-per-view in months outside of maybe yeah. WrestleMania night one, but that's just night one of a two-parter. So like this is, this company's in a fascinating spot and we have a lot of fun stuff coming up with 
um, this summer. This summer is probably going to be one of the better summers in the history of professional wrestling with how much cool stuff AEW likely has lined up. Uh, Jeremy, I want to thank you for coming on today. This was yeah. a lot of fun, a lot of fun to get your perspective on things and and talk to somebody that is as knowledgeable as you are and, and bounce different ideas because I love talking with Fred and I get to do that every week, but it's really cool to talk to somebody who is who thinks of things a different way because we can have a, a different conversations. Yeah, this was a blast. Thanks for having me on. Always, always happy to uh, make an appearance when I can. Absolutely. Do you have anything that you want to plug before you end up? I uh, had, we end up heading out today. Uh, so I guess I'm kind of on Twitter still, uh, <laughs> at Jeremy Sexton. <laughs> um, and then, uh, you know, I do freelance web graphics, etc. So if you want to hit me up, that's where I'm at. I'm my website, Jeremy Sexton.net. That's kind of the shoemaker's children at the moment, but, uh, it's gonna it's gonna get a refresh soon but uh but yeah so that that's me you can find me on the internet and uh, and, and if you want a good example of the work jeremy does he created the good bad and hungry graphic so if you yes. like that that is a that is a great example of the quality work that jeremy does um, make sure you go follow him and next week we will have another couple of special guests this time from two different countries joey o'doherty from ireland and abraham delgado of puerto rico and we are going to be at, do a huge preview show for Double or Nothing. Until then, enjoy the chaos that is Cookie Monster Punk. <laughs> hey, everybody. My name is Jesse Collings, and I want to tell you all about my show, The Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast, here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. On The Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast, we do a thorough analysis on the biggest issues and trends within the pro wrestling industry. We talk a lot about pro wrestling media. We talk a lot about fan culture and wrestling's place within general pop culture. And we talk about the broader influences that are shaping the way we discuss and analyze the pro wrestling industry. We've had some of the brightest minds in the pro wrestling intelligentsia on the show, including WrestleNomics host Brandon Thurston, both Rich Critch and Joe Lanza from the Flagship Wrestling Podcast, Trevor Dame from the Through the Years Podcast, and a whole lot more. This isn't a show for hot takes. It's not a show recapping the latest episode of television. This is a show focusing on the biggest topics in pro wrestling and doing a deep dive on the real stories behind the surface level analysis you might find elsewhere. The Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts, and we'd really appreciate it if you gave us a try. Thanks.